I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think I came here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you rather division. But from now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. All right, here we go. And three, two, one. Welcome to Couch Confessions. I'm Jonathan. I'm, I'm David. And I'm Zach. <laughs> well, that is uh, quite the passage and not one we typically associate with Jesus for sure. Um, <laughs> I think in our um, in, in most of the cultural understanding of, uh, of Christianity, we, we tend to think of Jesus as this peace-loving guru um, very uh, mild and, and like, yeah, totally just love and friendly. But that's, that's a quote from Jesus in Matthew 12, uh, 49 to 53. And he's, he's, um, he's quoting uh, Micah there at the end, but that's, that's him saying that. I've, I've come not to bring peace, um, but uh, to set the world ablaze. <laughs> and I wish it was already here. <laughs> and uh, so that's a, uh, that's an interesting, uh, interesting passage. <laughs> yeah, uh, he took a lot of time there to uh, to list off all the different types of family members. So yeah. I respect that. Yeah, nobody's escaping. He didn't say cousin against cousin, but maybe maybe they're too wrapped up in their own issues. All right. Well, I'm gonna add to it real quick: cousin against cousin, uh, <laughs> and more more inclusively, uh, first cousin against first cousin. But right, we don't right. really care about second cousins. After that, you're just looking for a fight. I mean, really, if you if you if you run through that whole list and you're like, all right, let me get the second cousins in here, I think you yeah. probably got some issues. You think he was sitting down with people's family trees when he was saying when he was looking over that? You know, I don't know. They just naturally rattled that off like it was nothing. Yeah, yeah. good for them, good for Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting uh, week. Um, one which I'm scared. Um, personally for uh because i don't make good decisions often when i uh when i talk about jesus um and sometimes i call him jesus uh the son the of jesus but um <laughs> the the son of the cheesiest but the um but i will say that as borderline heretics this is where we this is where we make our money <laughs> wait you're making money uh, this is where we hope to future, uh, make money, you know? This is where the cheese is, maybe? <laughs> oh, that's it. That was what, okay, thanks. Zach. That's what it is. Yeah, um, yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, we, we dabble in borderline heresy, and, um, and this is definitely borderline heresy, uh, because we're dealing with a, a weighty topic, and, Generally, I find when you when you look at more topical, um, nothing against topical preaching, but I find that when you when you preach topically, not that we're preaching now, but we're teaching through it. But um, when you kind of look at a topic and you kind of scan through scripture, you're more likely to do a little bit of warping, a little bit of eisegesis to to make things work. And we're going to try and not do that because as much as we are borderline heretics, we we are we are trying to be faithful to scripture. Uh, but we're handling some very delicate stuff, talking about Jesus creating conflict. And, and there's no doubt that he does do that. It, you know, you can't read the gospel without seeing conflict following Jesus. So much so, I mean, he, he died on a cross. So you don't just do that if you're not <laughs> a little bit controversial. Um, yeah, if you're not pissing some people off, you're, you're probably not going to die that way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and and your followers don't don't die on crosses if you're not controversial. And 
that was clearly the case too. You know, all the disciples, save for John, uh, were killed. And so, so he is controversial. He does create conflict. And so that's apparent. The, the kind of uh, sub-points that we're going to talk about today <clears throat> might not be the most exegetical, the most direct. We think they're pretty faithful, uh, pretty obvious, but we're not trying to do some big exegetical study of each one of these passages that we're, we're bringing up. We, these truths seem to be pretty apparent, seems to be an obvious takeaway. If we're a little bit off, well, hey, we're just playing into our namesake. Yay, thanks for the namesake. Um, yeah, you know, this week, uh, talking about Jesus creating conflict, uh, you know, we, we kind of broke it down when we when we talked about it this week um, into kind of like three categories, right? Uh, <clears throat> Jesus creating conflict by just being himself, just his very nature, mm-hmm. creates conflicts. And, um, and I think you had some good passages for that, right, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. So um, the first is just uh, John 15, John 15, 20. And uh, I got it here, here. So uh, John 15, 20, and this is the NIV translation. But uh, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Uh, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And so he's saying they're, they're persecuting me. And because you're my followers, they're going to persecute you too. But we have a, a couple other examples of, of just him being him, and that creates conflict in those around him. We look at uh, Martha and Mary. Because he was a teacher, because he was a, a, a rabbi and, like, the son of God, Mary goes and sits at his feet and is just soaking up the teaching. But... Martha is trying to prepare everything for him, trying to get the house in order. You got a lot of these guests. She's trying to, to serve people, which is a good thing. Um, but because he's who he is, that creates conflict in, in Mary and Martha because they're having this debate over, you know, Martha's like, shouldn't you be helping me? Shouldn't you be helping me serve everybody? Why are you just sitting there? Jesus, you know, tell her to get off her butt and come help me. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so you have that example, but it just overall, the reason he's creating conflict and that just by being him is he's different. He's special. He's the son of God. Him being different causes people to be on uh, intention, you know, that, that just because he's different, he's something that they haven't experienced before. Yeah. And I'm reminded of the story of uh, the the lady that uses the, the, the perfume, right, on his feet mm. and, and washed his feet and how that created conflict. Uh, you almost feel like the tension in the room when you read that story, uh, not just from Judas, but even those who are looking around. You, you know, he's the most vocal of them, but I have to assume some other people in the room are going, what in the world is going on here? Why is this, why is this happening type deal? And, and, you know, we're told that she understands who he is, his very nature of being the son of God. And that's why she did what she did. Um, and But it, his very nature is different than ours. And it creates that wedge between those who recognize him for who he is and mm-hmm. love him for who he is and want to follow after him for who he is versus those that, that don't. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and, and Zach, you brought up another passage with just conflict just followed him everywhere with uh, the demon-possessed man, right? Yeah, so there, like one of the things that we're talking about, we're, we're obviously talking about interpersonal conflict between humans, but Jesus was also in constant conflict spiritually. Uh, one of the examples was anytime he dealt with any of demon possession, they, they, there was never the question of, was Jesus more powerful? It was always like lord let us be can we the one i have in my mind is the example of uh legion the demon possessed man who for all intents and purposes world as we knew it couldn't handle him until jesus showed up and they said jesus you know your lord let us be and go possess the pigs instead yeah and that brings in another aspect of it is he created conflict by doing good. 
by by doing good that created conflict in other people's lives and that's one story so he has that conflict with the demon and there's that spiritual conflict that's going on but when he does that this is in uh i think is is it the end of matthew 8 or the beginning of matthew 9 um he does that and all the all the pigs run off the mountainside and crash on the rocks below and that completely destroys that town's economy and jesus isn't there to destroy their economy he's not there to try to put these people out he's trying to he's doing good he's saving this man from demon possession and because he's doing good he uh he ruins this entire town's economy and they they're like lord please leave like get out of here uh get go don't cause us any more trouble you know by by you doing good yeah i mean I personally uh, would love to see a bunch of pigs uh, fall off a mountainside or whatever. Um, they're disgusting creatures, uh, and that's a lot of bacon. And um, and he, he robbed them of all that bacon, by the way, and that's what made him so upset. And I think that's actually in verse 33, um, right before they asked him to leave. They begged him to leave their region. And it's not even like, get out of the city. It's like, get the heck out of the entire region. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got some people I want to tell to leave the region, you know? It's not, you know, the Columbia is not big enough for the both of us, but you can't even be in Newberry, man. You got to you gotta go to Greenville, that, you that's know, saying or, something or North Carolina, and in Zach's case, Ohio, you know? So, like, the states in between aren't even large enough, you know? Man, um... So it, I guess it's working with Zach. So you've had that conversation with him to to leave the region. That's right. Yeah, that's that's uh, we had that conversation a while ago, and he's just been keeping that under wraps. He's been um, dragging his heels. Yeah, <laughs> it's taken him a while. It's taken him a while to get out of the region. But uh, all right, don't add us uh, for PETA though. Okay, I'm not being serious about watching pigs die. Okay, but you are serious oh. about the bacon though. But I am serious about the bacon being in verse 33. I like how you're, that's what you're not serious about, not getting me out of the state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Also, not serious about Zach leaving the state due to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this isn't the only example of, of him creating conflict um, by doing good. You know, in, in the passages that follow after that, where he's... Um, He's healing the, the paralyzed man and uh, whose friends lower him down on the roof. Um, he forgives them and, and the Pharisees are all up in arms like, how can you, how can you forgive this guy? Uh, only God has that ability. And he's like, uh, well, which is easier to say. And he, he gives that man the ability to walk again. And he's just doing good. And people are like, man, like, you got to stop doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And, and there, are, there are other miracles where he's healing people, he's doing a good thing, and the Pharisees are upset about it. And, uh, and I, I think the reason mostly is, is their jealousy. And, and, and they're jealous that he's getting attention, and, uh, and it exposes their own, um, own dark desires, their own selfishness, their own greed. And by him just doing good. Well, I think uh, I think our time at Bible school taught us that uh, the Pharisees themselves uh, they were part of an exclusive club in a lot of ways, right? And then you had this outsider Jesus um, claiming to be what they were supposed to be waiting for, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it wasn't the type of character they wanted because he didn't fit in with them. He preached against them. And, uh, and so he just never was the, the Messiah that they wanted. Mm. And so it was just easier to, to hate them for that and to discredit them or try to discredit them for that than to, uh, than to forsake what they were doing and do the right thing themselves and be good. And I think that's pretty tough when we're in, when we're in interpersonal relationships, right? Um, you know, our idea of what needs to go on uh, that we that we have, bef you know, exclusively within ourselves, it's not always done properly by somebody else. We're not we don't read each other's minds. We don't do exactly what 
we want others to, you know, to do. Mm-hmm. Or they don't do what we want them to do, necessarily. And, uh, and I, I think that's what caused a lot of that friction with the Pharisees and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they just were unable to, to see him for who he actually was. So. Uh, Zach, I want to I want to get your thoughts on this because I think, you know, David and I are often pretty cynical uh, about things, and uh, we're not always the most. Um, not that we're not nice people and don't try to do good, but I I, I feel like David and I are are much more cynical ab- about things, uh, whereas you are so much more inviting and loving in a lot of ways to, to strangers. Have you ever experienced that by you just being you and, and being a, a kind human being? Have you ever felt that conflict? Because you worked in a lot of secular settings with some some uh, less than reputable people. Have you ever felt that kind of attention just because you were, not because you were trying to pick on them or anything, but you were just being a, a genuinely awesome guy? Uh, my favorite my favorite quote that I was ever taught by someone when I introduced myself at a new place of work uh, was, uh, you're full of it. There's no way you're this nice. <laughs> and it took me six months for that person to finally not think I was trying to get something. Mm. It, 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 it took six months of that person working with me on a regular basis because they thought it's like, you're slimy. There's no way that you're this kind. Did you, did you ever point out their shortcomings did you ever like intentionally like uh point out how they weren't being kind <laughs> uh, all i said was you'll eventually come to realize that i'm being a hundred percent genuine i think i think that's so important because um was it ephesians 4 well this probably goes to later but it's talking about speaking truth and love but this idea of love like you were just loving that person. You had no ul- ulterior motives to to just being a, a genuine human being. Yep. And uh it creates friction in people. People don't like that. People like to think you're you're a slime ball. You're working some kind of angle. Because I'm working yep. some kind of angle, so you gotta be working some kind of angle. You know? Yep. Yep. And and that just goes down to the mistrust of things, you know, like sometimes she'll be in conflict for good reasons and other times she'll just be in conflict because of what the other person's going through. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so Jesus creates conflict by just being who he is and and being a good person. Uh, What were some, uh, David, you had some, uh, you had taken some notes. What were some other um, uh, sub-points there? Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, I had gotten uh, Matthew eighteen as well, but I had actually or eight um, as well. But I, I looked at the cost of following Jesus there. Mm. So you know, uh, verse uh, eighteen through twenty one, uh, where he actually uh, is just talking to a crowd, and um, <clears throat> teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, and uh, and he says. Uh, Jesus just tells them, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, so just, just you know, telling people to, to do what needs to be done uh, and, and being, being good to them, like letting them come along with him, with, mm-hmm. with him, like encouraging them to do so, but um, refocusing what their mission should be and what it should look like can offend people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean... I, me personally, I even feel a little offended by that statement, right? I mean, we, <laughs> the dead don't bury their own dead. We do, right? But um, you, you have to see it from Jesus' perspective. There, there's a, um, when, when this guy says, let me go bury my father before I follow you, you've got to understand there's priorities there. Jesus has to be the priority, and he's just trying to, trying to help these people out, understand that, Um and, and and it's not like this guy doesn't even understand his nature, Jesus' nature. He does. That's why he wants to follow him. But, uh, you know, resetting our priorities, Jesus calls us to do that time and time again in Scripture. It is constantly, he is reminding uh, his followers 
um, to reset their priorities with him at the top and everything else after. Um, and, and that's just a tough one to understand, and it causes conflict. It causes conflict because it goes against, you know, our societal beliefs, sometimes how we're raised, um, and our idea of good. So we keep saying Jesus doing good, but what is good? What is the good thing? And the good thing is following him and setting him as a top priority. And not a whole lot of people got that, and I don't know if a whole lot of people get that to today, you know? And there's a lot of days I don't get that, so. That, that question, what is good? Because that, I mean, that just goes back to the pig story. I mean, you could argue it was good for those that town to have a livelihood, <laughs> you know? But yeah. But they would rather have a livelihood than have this man cleansed of the the multitude, the legion of demons that were inside of it. Like, that's a messed up priority. Like, there are other ways to make money. But this man is consumed by demons. And he's reset. I like that. I like that resetting their priorities. That's a, that's a good way to, to look at it. And so I think by Jesus doing good, he was just asking people, the, the ones that didn't think he was doing good, it was because I, I believe in a lot of ways they just had the wrong priorities. And I think it was it was a misalignment of expectations. We've been talking about conflict and meeting needs and expectations. And again, I, we always try to bring this up, I feel like, every week, as we probably rightly should. <laughs> but I think there's a misalignment of expectations there. Like, it's not the good that they wanted. It's, right. it's not the good that they wanted. It's the good that they needed, but they but they didn't assign the right need and they didn't have the right expectation. Right. And so Jesus coming in here, his nature itself is a misalignment of expectations with the Pharisees as a misalignment of what perceived needs are for a lot of his followers or would be followers. Right. And, um, and it's a misalignment of expectations here on, on so many levels when it comes to what is good. And I think you brought up a great point there. Like, they, when it came to the pigs and this man, they were more concerned about animals than they were about human life. Mm. And even going a step further, they were more worried about animals at the end. Like, if you look at it this way, they were more worried about animals dying in their economy than about the spiritual warfare going on in their own city. Mm. And that could have wreaked havoc on not just them personally, but for generations to come, potentially. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't think any of that through. So, Well, and then even just the bigger kingdom understanding of him displaying his power and authority was what needed to be done. I mean, yeah, the spiritual needs for sure, but God is deserving of glory. And he shows his glory and his power in that moment. He flexes his godhood there in front of these people and by having authority and uh and so that was necessary we don't often think about that i mean it's a it's a bizarre thing to think about but god deserves glory we don't get that because we're humans and we're 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 fallible and we don't deserve glory not in that way um and so we're always and we talked about this with our uh blh study on uh on vanity and, and pride like, that's not a fair thing for us to have, per se, but it is totally fair for God to have that. And so, if nothing else, him saying, look, I am the Son of God, I have authority over demons, that is a good enough priority in and of itself. Um, and we you know, that's absolutely right, man. Now, when he flexed, do you think he, he showed his calf muscles? No, got to be like pulled up his robe and showed his calves. Like, was that the flex or was that bicep flex? I, th I, I think. It Go ahead. Sorry, say that again. I think it was his eyebrow. <laughs> oh man, an eyebrow flex. <laughs> you know, the, like the disapproving dad look. <laughs> that's that's it. That's the muscle. Um, but interesting. Yeah, and I really like this. The the, the conflict is. This idea of the the misalignment of needs and expectations, I think that's that one, and and then probably the the last one are the most frequent um, uses of him creating conflict, because you see that with the rich young ruler, 
Uh, you see that with um, the Samaritan woman. You see that with the the not the twelve disciples, but the larger group of disciples. When he says, um, "You must eat my flesh and drink my blood," and they're like, "This is so hard. How can we do this?" And he's putting these big choices in front of them and saying, "Am I the most important? Am I or am I not?" And and they've all got to make that decision of uh, no, you you are. There's there's not anything else, not my family, not my money, not my pride, um, not my own sensibility of of what I understand right here in this moment. You're the most important, and that's it. And he's got to create those internal conflicts to get them to see that. Well, uh, we we discussed um, his not only his ability but his. Um, his desire and uh, to share truth, right? So there's probably a better way of saying that. The man just was truthful. Jesus yeah. just told truth all the time, right? So we don't need to like dress it up here. He he talked about who he was. He talked about why he came, and he asked people to believe in him, and it got him killed. And he died telling the truth, um, at least not allowing others. To, uh, you know, they, he allowed others to even speak badly of him, ill of him, call him a liar, right? All the way until the cross, all the way up into the cross and his own death. Um, <clears throat> and I think, I think we see this all the time in today's society. Mm. Where, and it's not just now, right? Let's not wear rose-colored glasses. Truth mm. has always been a, a very tough pill to swallow. Like, nobody wants to swallow truth. Like, nobody wants that. I mean, if you tell me you want to swallow truth, I don't, you might own one thing, but you don't want the whole thing, right? right? I mean, you want a little bite of truth, but you don't want, you don't want the meal, you know? Uh, so, because it's not good, you know? I mean, it is good, but it ain't. It don't, it don't feel good. It's it like hurts a real bit. Tastes disgusting, but it helps you. Oh, it's disgusting, man. It's disgusting. The things it does to you, it's no good. No good. But truth is, um, truth is what Jesus was all about, right? I mean, um, he even says, I am the truth, right? So, uh, you know, there it is. I mean, he, he doesn't shy away from it. His I am statements are, are just throughout, and, um, and they, they speak of who he actually is. And, y'all, I, I got to be honest with you, um, you know, it's, it's tough to talk about truth these days. It's talking about, you know, even for myself, even thinking about truth. What is truth? You know, I mean, I understand postmodernism. I get that. You know, I try to fight relativism. But with all the complexities in today's world, in today's society, global society, it, I have a hard time even finding truth about myself, you know? Like something that is consistent truth about myself. The most consistent truth about myself is I'm not that consistent. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the very best, I try to be, but like, how how does that play into our relationships? What's it mean to talk about truth, to be in, living in truth? Well, well, this goes. So I I jumped the gun talking about Ephesians four, but it's like say speak truth in love, and I think that's often a missing part. But I, I'm I'm right there with you, David. I I get uncomfortable with this because how I see truth thrown about. I think a lot of the time we see truth thrown out like a weapon more more than more than uh, a healing ointment or something like that. I yeah. and and so I get I get really nervous about that or or, or um hesitant. I, I don't know what there's a weird uneasiness about it because there's truth and then there's the time and the place for truth. But I think we, we hold truth in such a high virtue that we're, we're really not concerned so much about the truth, but we're, we're just trying to get, we're just trying to be offensive in some way. I don't, maybe that's being hyperbolic. Maybe that's being a little bit too far, but I think some people are coming at it from the angle of, um, this is an excuse for me to, to be a jerk. Um, 
I I'm know just being tr- Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just being truthful. I'm just telling the truth. Yeah. And and they're just they're just using it as an excuse to be a to be a jerk. Um if if you watch our YouTube channel, uh you'll hear the pre prep and I use stronger language than that. But I think I think I think that's what people are doing and I I think I have a negative response to that. I see people handling truth the wrong way and so then maybe part of me decides just not to handle it at all. You know? Yeah. And I, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, you know, I for me Jonathan and Zach it comes down to uh you know, truth in context too. So like it's just trying to parse the contextual uh, realities that are there and try to figure out if this truth is true right here and right now before ever even talking about with somebody. But I find myself hesitant to talk about truth. It's, it's like, well, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, maybe this way, you know, and that, that type of thing. Almost, almost uh, not necessarily scared, but just uh, putting it out there, just laying the truth out there. If it gets picked up, it gets picked up. If it doesn't, eh, whatever, you know. Um, and I don't know if that's how Jesus, I mean, I can tell you that's not exactly how Jesus handles the truth. <laughs> he, kind of, he kind of does a little bit more than, you know, just hangs it out there. But, but he was God, right? It's so... I mean, it's God, that's right, yeah. It's hard. <laughs> I don't know. Zach, I don't know. What, what how do you, how do you think we need to handle truth in a relationship, Zach? Well, before I answer your question, David, I'll need you to remind me, because I wanted to say what I wanted to say before, is that I think often truth is viewed as a weapon something that's sharp and bladed meant to to lacerate stab pierce probe prod but i think truth is more better viewed as uh, um, as a hammer it's a tool and i don't use the same tool for every situation a hammer doesn't work in every situation there are some situations where it just doesn't fit now hammers are very versatile in a lot of situations and I can even use it fairly effectively for things that wasn't intended to, but it's still not the most effective things in all situations. Mm. And I think that's something to keep in mind with truth is that, yes, like the truth will set you free. We're not advocating that you shouldn't use truth. But I think that, okay, like with a hammer, I'm not going to, to, to try to do something with a screw using the hammer, right? I'm going to find a screw to driver for the screw. Mm. But I also need to remember that you know, just because the hammer wasn't the right tool for that situation doesn't mean I throw my hammer away. I still have it. I'm not using it in that situation. So I think that's a better way to think of truth in that regards. Um, now, what was the question that you asked me there, David? How do yeah. I find truth? Well, I've, I've, uh, I've hurt my, uh, my thumb way too many times with the hammer of truth. Okay. Like I, I really have. And, uh, and so I was wondering at what would be the appropriate way to handle truth in a relationship. You know, I think you kind of already tried to answer that there, but maybe in a little bit more nuanced, uh, interpersonal way. Okay. So how do I handle truth in a relationship? So the first thing that I come to mind, again, since we talked about expectations so much, is what's the expectation of the relationship? Is this, um, like, am I running into someone at the gas station? then my value and the amount of time I'm going to focus on truth with that person is not going to be as much as, let's say, my wife, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the type of relationship is different. If I do something to inconvenience a stranger at a gas station, not out of malicious intent, but let's just say I pulled up to the pump stand before they do and now they have to wait, right? But at the same time, like, if I'm going to inconvenience my wife, like I'm just going to be more intentional about that. So that's the truth of that situation. Uh, When it comes to uh, when I'm in conflict, like if someone cuts me off on the road, uh, it's not a big deal. It's not. And I'm just not going to, you know, raise cane for someone cutting me off on the road. Um, I did not say that I'm immune to road rage. I just said that, you know, in that situation, you know, I don't need to blare the horns of truth on my car at them. Yeah, so you don't need the anthem of the horn to bring about a holy rapture upon them. You know, right. I've always wondered about that. I, I have raised Cain many times. Well, I've tried to raise Cain many times. 
I've been unable to raise Kane. Is is Kane um, the name of your cat? I don't. No, no. It's different, right? <laughs> I've got a different name. I can't say on air for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, catch me afterwards. Uh, <laughs> but no. <laughs> Um, but Zach, you know, so we've got a couple of different metaphors going on here for, for, uh, for, for, for truth, because what I got from Jonathan was, it, it's like some lotion you got to like really knead in to somebody pretty good. You know what I'm saying? And, and I hate lotion to begin with. So that, that metaphor just doesn't work well for me. And the hammer metaphor, I, yeah, it's not great either, but you know, I'm because I hurt myself with both, really and truly. Uh, lo- lotion makes me all greasy, and that's just that's garbage. So, um, guys, I gotta say, it is difficult. Uh, Jesus started conflict by speaking truth, and uh, and I've got a passage here in Matthew about it, real quick, where he talks about truth. Um, the, the, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So he's getting after it pretty hard, and I, I read it not exactly the way it's printed. Okay, so get uh, you know give me a little bit of credence there, but uh, but I gotta say, Jesus has some attitude yeah. from what I'm reading yeah. in the English Standard Version. I'm reading attitude in Jesus here, and um and and he's saying, you know, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Um, put put your tradition in the right priority. Right, park that thing in, in, in priority number, uh, spot number two, three, maybe five. I don't know how many spots there are for the Pharisees, <laughs> but um, but and then park uh, what I'm saying before that, right? Um, and uh, and I just don't. It, it's tough. I mean, when Jesus when Jesus talks truth to the Pharisees, they go on later on in Scripture. They say they want to kill him. I mean, <laughs> and not only do they say that they want to kill him, they actually do. So. Yeah, I, I like that passage. I, I know this wasn't the the tone, or I, I can assume the tone wasn't like a genuine question, like, hey, why do your um why do your disciples break tradition by, by not washing their hands? Why are they doing that? And then Jesus is snapping back, well, why do you break the commandments for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> like, like that's the funny the funny <laughs> I know yeah. that's that can't be just based based on their relationship. The Pharisees were definitely trying to get at Jesus. But I, I just like that mental image is the is the one that I, I enjoy. But uh but yeah, he's standing up for truth. He's 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 putting them in their place and he's he's uh he's uh bringing their priorities in line too. Um, I think there's a couple things we can take from this. So uh one of the things that I I wrestle with personally, especially in our culture, David, I think you would relate to this is that, you know, to what degree of balance do I need to have speaking truth and not being afraid to say like, Hey, this is wrong. This is right. And just like you said, throwing up truth and, you know, it might hit someone it might not, right. There's a balance to be had there. And I think this is a great example of us being able to find a little bit of balance there. Now that we can, we definitely know that the motive of the Pharisees was not um, the wellness of everyone involved. In this case, uh, they had an agenda. They were asking a certain question to try to trap Jesus. I think the passage actually says that. Um, and so when they're asking this question, they're asking with ulterior motive. But the point here that Jesus lays in on is that they come to him and then that's when he lands the truth on them. Mm. There's a couple examples where Jesus leads with truth, but more often he's responding with truth. Yeah, that's so even, even though the Pharisees are coming at him with wrong intent, he's then answering their question with truth. Now, what's brilliant is that Jesus is a master of questions. And in his questions, he's laying truth without pointing fingers. Yeah, I think that's, that is a good point. Uh, more often than not, it is responsive in how he he handles it, um, and he's always he's not always sassy about it. He's not always like given attitude. Uh, we talked about beforehand when he's in front of uh, Pontius Pilate, 
You know, he doesn't have necessarily an attitude with Pilate. He's not he's not attacking the Pharisees. He's not calling them out. He's not trying to defend himself. He's just speaking truth. He's just being honest. When they ask him a question, he answers. Uh, and so I think that's a that's a, an important detail. He's not leading with like, let me put you in or put your place. But if you're gonna try and trap me, then I'm gonna make you think. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you think twice about that later on. Um, that's pretty interesting. So. You know, thinking about it, uh, maybe the best approach with truth is to, to sit back and wait. To sit back and wait uh, until until somebody's curious. Uh, after all, he lands, if that's the truth, right? That's the truth, that he's responsive uh, when he's given the truth, that he's responding. Um, it's because of his nature, and it's because of him doing good that they even ask him these questions. They didn't try to trap him with words. Because they can't trap him with his nature alone, and they can't trap him with him doing good. Yeah. But they're going to try to trap him with his words. And so that's kind of like a last resort in a lot of ways, I think, for the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe that's a little bit of heresy there. But, you know, I, I, th- I would like to think that, that that's, the last, that's their last way to try to get him, yeah. is to, to catch him in words, where yeah. he misspeaks uh, against Scripture. And remember, Scripture being Old Testament back then. Mm-hmm. And, and he doesn't. They can't find fault with that. But you're absolutely right. He didn't give attitude to uh, Pontius Pilate at all. I mean, he, he just answered saying, that's what you call me. I mean, that's what, that's what they say about me. Mm. You know, um, it, it's up to, they're the ones saying it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say this, though. So most of the time he's not provoking in, in that way. He's not leading. You know, they're coming with, to him with an issue. But there are some examples where he straight up calls out the Pharisees. Um, I'm thinking Matthew 23. And I, I could be wrong with the context. I'm not sure what happened right in Matthew 22. I didn't, I didn't go make sure I was right there. But in 23, he straight up lays it out to the Pharisees. You're a bunch of hypocrites. And now I guess that could be seen as responsive, right? They're, they have been consistently trying to trap him. They've been consistently you know, uh, misleading his followers. They've been consistently, like, Jesus looks at Jerusalem like his child, like his people. That is, that's his people. And the Pharisees who were supposed to be taking care of his people are not doing that. They're putting weights on him, on them, that they don't even try to, to lift. And so it is in some ways responsive, but they've gotten to this point, and he straight up calls them Pharisee, or calls them her- uh, hypocrites, you know, yeah, do what the Pharisees say, but not what they do, because they're telling you to do, you know, good things, but they don't live that way, and and he, he rails on the Pharisees, and he doesn't mince words, he's not putting in a parable, he straight up calls them out, you're a bunch of hypocrites, and woe to you, because destruction is coming, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna reap what you're, what you're doing right now. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, it, it does seem that the Pharisees are the only group of people that Jesus flat out yes. calls out. So I, I want to make that distinction there that, you know, this isn't licensed for, for us to, you know, look at someone else who's um, in a disagreement with us and we call them out for it. These were people that were claiming to do good, that were claiming to be what were supposed to be the shepherds and guardians of what uh, God had entrusted with his people with. And they were corrupt, filled with, uh, jealousy with selfishness pride arrogance like that's the group of people that jesus calls out but again it's just it seems to be an isolated group yeah yeah that's 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 a good uh delineation there yeah because yeah that would if without that context context it gives license but he's calling out religious leaders who are distorting truth who are preventing people from entering the kingdom of god and I think that's that's the context, and we need to think about that if we're gonna we're gonna try and do the same. Yeah, well, you just took a lot of fun out of what I was planning on doing. Um, <laughs> I, I was gonna go ahead and write out my seven woe statements as well, um, just just for the heck of it. But now I guess I can't do that. Um, so. <laughs> well, you can. You just got to be a little bit more precise in who those seven woes are going against. Yeah, I'm not very good with that, so, you know, it probably wouldn't be the people I want to send the seven words to. Uh, maybe the trees that we play disc golf against. 
Uh, well, they deserve a lot more than that. They deserve the axe, but um, <laughs> there's a special place in hell for those trees, Zach. So, um, fire's got. I think th- actually Jesus said that too somewhere in here. <laughs> so, so, so I'm prophesying. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I. So it's very rare day that Jesus starts uh, with the hammer of truth that he needs into them lovingly. <laughs> he, uh, he, that, was good. I, I, that was good, right? I combined the lotion of truth with the hammer of truth. I, I'm, really, I'm really upset that I planted my flag on that metaphor. I've got better metaphors from that, but that just what... I was surprised you went with that one. I was surprised you went with that one. Hey, it is cold up here in North Carolina. My hands get cracked, all right? I'm playing a lot of guitar. My hands get dried out. I need my lotion, all right? So you think you thought of Burt's Bees, and the first thing you thought of was, give me some hand lotion. That's right. That's what you said to your shot. Yeah. That's I, weird. I have better uh, I have better metaphors for that. But um, well, but, we'll have to rewrite the script. You'll have to, like, edit all that out and then, like, put in your new metaphor. Yeah. And then my stuff won't make any sense. They'll think I'm the crazy one, but you're the one that edits all this, so you can do whatever you want, really. Oh, God, I didn't think about that. Okay, so, um, woe to you, Jonathan. Woe to you. I, I, think, um, I think the takeaway is, um, as we're, we're handling conflict, right, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of steps before this, but I think the important thing, and this is what we talked about two weeks ago with the whole Avatar discussion, um, having wide enough shoulders to, to carry these weights and things like that and being the kind of man that, that steps up, being the kind of person, right? Um, Jesus didn't always look, wasn't necessarily looking for conflict, but he was never afraid to escalate it if need be, and he was never afraid to finish it. Um, he was never afraid to do what needed to be done in the sake of conflict. He didn't run away from conflict. He didn't run to- towards it all the time, but he didn't run away from it. I think that's the, the important part. Um, because, that's right. And I think, I think what, what's also important, though, is he was um, tactful about how mm-hmm. he used conflict, mm-hmm. uh, how he engaged in it. I, I do remember sometimes where he would escape from an area, from a people um, and everything. I mean, he, he wasn't there to fight with them necessarily, right? Um, but, but when there was a time that it, something needed to be said or needed to be done, mm-hmm. a good work that needed to be done um, for his name and, and his father's name's sake, he did the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was true to his nature, which is, you know, what else could you ever really ask for, for, uh, for God, from God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So uh, I think that's really important, Jonathan. Uh, and as far as expectation and needs are concerned, um, just, just, you know, aligning the, the idea of doing good and being truthful when it needs to be done, um, and, and understanding that not everybody is going to see the, the situation the same way that you are in conflict, and we've talked about that before, we've talked about that a lot, um, that you're not going to see things eye to eye with almost anybody at any point, but, uh, but being gracious, kind, considerate, and um, thoughtful, like what Jesus is, mm-hmm. and his conflicts uh, can go a long way, I think. Yeah. Zach, uh, do you have any, any uh, closing thoughts on this? Uh, because after this week, we've got, uh, we've got quite, the, quite the, the, the task in front of us. Um, we're we're going to be talking about uh, the great existential conflict. Um, but, uh, so, so any, any last words before we get into that deep pool of, of thought? <laughs> I, I think a theme that's been kind of laced throughout this particular topic, as we're talking about the God, man, Jesus, we're talking about, you know, he was God, we're human. So how can we, like, what, can, what principles can we derive from this? And I think one of the things that's clear is that you need to know your why, because if Jesus was reactive in his, um, his responses and his questions with his truth if he was living his life in such a way that they couldn't call him out on his life they couldn't call him out on doing good right so two things that we can focus on they try to trap him with words 
he knew enough about that, that when he responded in that conflict, that he was still in the right. He wasn't as wishy-washy as what's the truth in this situation. And I think that's something to really take into account is that, okay, so what am I thinking about? What do I know? What are the expectations relating to this? What is my standing with this person? If we're in conflict, why are we in conflict? I think that's a big takeaway from this passage that we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. It's uh, it it's really it raises the bar. Uh, well, it doesn't really raise the bar. The bar already was the bar already was pretty high, um, but it as followers of Christ, we gotta. I'll say this lightly: we've got a, a a high calling on who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live, and that's not salvific, right? But as followers of Christ, out of what we believe, out of who we are, out of what He's made us to be. Um, that's going to have an effect. And if we're going to be his followers, that ought to mean something. Uh, and so it, it's, it's, it's something to consider. It's priorities and expectations to consider before jumping into being a follower of Christ because it means something. Um, and it calls us to something greater, uh, which is frightening, frightful, but encouraging because it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. But yeah, whole another whole other topic <laughs> for another day. Yeah, big one. Um, so uh, I guess we're talking about the great conflict uh, for what two weeks? Is that what we're doing? The existential yeah. conflict. Yeah, okay. we'll uh, we'll we'll do some editing magic because uh, we're probably just gonna spend just a whole long episode of talking about it, and I'll find some way to split it down the middle um, <laughs> and make two out of it, just uh, to make it easier on us. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, that that wraps up our series. That's all the stories we have uh in the small small details. So now we're going back to big and uh conflict. Why is conflict a thing in general and how does it how does it work? And there's all kinds of stories and and uh existential understandings and yeah, yeah, it's bigger than us. <laughs> Yeah, y'all better buckle up, man, because uh, we're about to go old school, uh, back to before the beginning, right? I mean, back to before the beginning, beginning yeah. on uh, on some stuff. So, uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm also scared. <laughs> really now, scared, actually. I I also want to clarify: Are we announcing something this week, or will it be next week, Jonathan? Oh. That we're announcing. Uh, we'll do uh, that next week. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're announcing something next week. Y'all tell me what we're announcing next week when we get off because I, I are we announcing the the thing that we have talked about? Is that what we're the announcing? The thing. The thing. The thing. The okay, thing. that yeah. thing. That okay, thing. all right. That's not not the okay. other thing, but the thing. Maybe okay, just some right. of the thing. Yeah, okay. A little bit of the thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Uh that was a really good teaser, y'all. That was, that was great. <laughs> I'm sure people are gonna love that. Well, really, we're just we're just biding time until you ask me a question. That's all we're doing. Oh shoot, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's time. Hey, Jonathan, isn't it time to play the jams? <laughs> yeah, it is.